The Valley Hub Stories podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, Gumbangia Country. We value and respect their continuing connection to and care of country throughout time. Welcome to the Valley Hub Stories podcast. I'm talking with Melinda Walker today. Melinda is one of those strong, eloquently spoken women who just know stuff. There's really no better way I can describe her other than that she has a deep passion and knowledge. And when she speaks, she is able to transform something she knows in her heart into something that everyone can understand. This is a conversation that talks about grief and loss. Not only because it is the area in which Melinda works, but also because it is central to what brings Melinda to her work today. The impacts of colonisation and intergenerational grief. Melinda works for New South Wales Health in palliative care and also Barrelville-based organisation, Mujagenma, and works alongside individuals or families experiencing cancer or, or those being faced with a terminal illness in palliative care. This is a deep conversation and a little longer than our usual episodes, but I encourage you to lean in. There is really something here that you need to listen. So let's get started. So Melinda, can you introduce yourself? Um, I'm Melinda Walker. I'm a Gumbanga woman raised in Barrowville or in the Nabaka Valley. My bloodlines run from the mountains to the ocean. So that's who I am. Yeah. So have you spent most of your time here or did you go um, away and come back? I did. I moved to Sydney in 2000, so about 20 years. I was away living in Sydney and during that time I worked for various government agencies as well as NGOs and I always said to myself, you know, I was going to go out and, and you know explore the world and then eventually come home once I've got an education, you know, learned, learned about life. During that time I um, went and did my uh, social work degree, honours, at the University of New South Wales and I graduated last year. Uh, that was always, um, that has always been a dream of mine is to go and, and do a degree. I always thought it, I wanted to go into the field of health. I always thought I wanted to be a nurse. But when I was 19, yeah, 18, 19, I did a traineeship when the first health centre uh, service up in, up on the mission, on Barville Mission opened. Um, and I was doing a certificate three in community health. Uh, I had work experience, um, however, at Burjing and, um, I didn't like being in the nurse's aid. I didn't, yeah, it just wasn't for me. I learned quickly. Mm. And then, you know, throughout that time, I was like, oh, I always knew I wanted to be in that field of helping people and supporting them. So I ended up getting a job offer in Sydney. It was only for three months, but then, you know, 20 years later. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and I have to say that I think it was one of the best moves I've ever made. It made me appreciate more what I've got back here. 
it made me realize that who I am and my connection or relationship with country. Because one of the biggest things I've learned out of that is that I always maintain my connection, but I did not have that relationship with country. Mm. So can you tell me about that? What does that look like and feel like? How do you experience that? Can it be conceptualized? Um, I don't, I, I, I'll try my best to. For me, it, it, it was about like, I could always come home. I could always come home and be on country and have that connection to country. And I always thought that was the thing that is that what I needed. Mm. Uh, but then throughout, I think it was probably the last, probably, 18, oh, two, two, two to three years. Um, I realized that there's a, there's a deeper, deeper connection and that is relationship to country. So for me, that was realizing that it had to be a reciprocal relationship where when I was coming home, when I was going through that stuff in Sydney and I needed to come home and be with family and be on country, I was being on country. Like I felt like I was taking and I was never giving back. Mm. And that hit me like a bombshell because then I felt like if, like I was also a part of, you know, not given, but always taken from country mm. and not appreciating country and, and the importance of country. And, you know, because the way I see it now is that we're nothing without country. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have country. Mm. When I had that realisation, I felt I was stealing. And I, and I didn't, you know, and that was a deep hurt for me in a lot of ways. They're like, you know, stealing from country. And then that's when I realised that it was more about my relationship with it. Mm. And being with it, not being on it. Because being with is more active yep. than being on. Yep. And so now that's how I live my life now is being with country. So just having that reciprocal relationship with it, mm. the reciprocity. Yep. Yep. So when you talk about being with country, you're now doing that in some, some very sort of tangible ways in your day-to-day life. Can you walk me through that? Well, for me, it is everything I do now, and particularly working within my own community around the work that I'm doing in end of life and in bereavement, is that it's about being out with country while having these conversations and seeing that there's an interconnectedness of everything around us, but it's, to me, it opens up our eyes, our feeling, our thoughts, our sense that we're not alone in everything that we go through, whether, you know, whether it's sad times or happy times, there's, there's the animals, there's the uh, rivers, oceans, there's always some you're never alone in in what you're going through. Mm. So for me, when being out on country and being with it and talking about 
the the connection that we have and that interconnection connection it just uh, yeah it just really activates your sense of being and belonging mm. and who you are so having those conversations with one country really yeah gives that sense of belonging and for me it feels like i'm being held i'm safe i'm being cared for Shawtruck is a non-for-profit organisation in Maxwell Industrial Estate with young people coming from the Nambucca Valley and Bellingham. Dakota, what do you do at Shawtruck? We learn new things in a hands-on way to gain skills to get a job. Josie, what things can you learn? We learn skills in construction, concreting, metal fabrication, beauty, well-being, mowing and landscaping, fencing, hospitality, hairdressing, mechanics and lots of other things. Ivy, what do you like about Shawtruck? You make new friends from different schools and towns, develop new skills, new experiences. It's inclusive and you don't feel judged. We'd love your support to grow our organisation and if you'd like to learn more, please visit our website, shawtrack.org.au or find us on Facebook. Thanks. By the sounds of it, you have been on quite the journey to get to this point. Mm. I'm thinking about younger people the younger generation coming through and not necessarily being exposed to the conversations you've had and, and the experiences you've had and the cultural understanding and, and enmeshment and being able to actually kind of conceptualise how that could feel for them. How does that develop in the next generation? It's really hard. It's challenging and particularly with the influence of the Western, the influence of, you know, social media, everything they've got access today, it's really hard. It's the impact of the intergenerational that we have to go through in order to get, because I have been on such a, a journey. I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of people, my own generation that don't see things the way I see things as well. Mm. So. It's also about sitting down and, and having a conversation with them as well because, you know, we've we've had, I'm just thinking about, you know, like the, the people I grew up with, we've had very similar experiences except for I just chose to, you know, remove myself and explore life. Mm. But then when I come home, you know, so that was that was only the real differences between between us. But it was, I think, for me, it was always maintaining my connection and who I am to country and to and in the bigger picture on in community as well as family has really given me the the eye opener or the experience of seeing things. Mm. Um, and experiencing things as well. When I think about being home here and just, you know, events that's happened here around the murders and that, I was still was able to remove myself from that, even though it had impacted me greatly. But it also, it defined me in a lot of ways for a long time mm. in my life. And it wasn't until I was doing a, my diploma of counselling and group work when I just thought, well, you know, I can't let this now define me. I now have to use this and flip it mm. 
so that I can do something, you know, be a part of change. And so I think because I went through that and did a lot of my own soul searching, I did. And I always felt that that was very important for me to do in order for me to come back and do stuff here at home, to work here. Because mm. for me it was always been a conflict. I've always been in conflict with myself around a collective and individual because I grew up in a collective. But then when you're in the bigger wide world, it's very individual. Mm. That, that individualistic thinking of living and being, yep. you know. So I was caught up in that world for a long time. I was. But I was always drawn back to this collective. And that was a big struggle, a massive big struggle. And then it wasn't until I think, oh, 30s, I think it was, that I come to that realisation that it's about me just really honing my place. Mm and nurturing that for myself and not taking roles or responsibilities away from everyone else and who they are because I found that what I struggle with, that that was happening a lot with – I felt like I was also disempowering my own family members mm-hmm. when I'd take on responsibilities. Yep. So, you know, so there was there – was, because of that, there was a resentment, but I didn't realise that I was also doing that. Yep. And so then I took a step back from that because then it became, because when I was, what I was doing, I, I was being caught up in that, in the individual way of thinking and living that I felt like, you know, well, I could save, I could save the world really. Mm. But when I knew that, it wasn't about me being that person to everyone, but more about holding my place and nurturing that and and holding space for other people yep. to be able to come into their own. I think that collective example of intergenerational bereavement, grief, trauma, mm. as exemplified through the Barrival murders, is a really uh, a key point to kind of bring out the ways in which culture impacts on grief So, and the, the differences between, you know, I think as time goes on, it, certainly in Western culture, there's more of an encouragement to see grief as somewhat of a celebration of the person's life and you know, perhaps do we do we use that to process the loss or is it a means to extract the discomfort from the scenario? Mm. And I'm I'm kind of curious as to how how Aboriginal culture experiences that process of grief and loss. If you're happy to talk about the sort of intergenerational impacts of an event such as the Barable murder. I think that, that that could be a really key way to help people understand. Mm. Well, see, our, and and our grief starts from colonisation. Mm. That's where it starts from. Yep. It starts from de- de- the denial of our language, our way of living, our way of being, 
and knowing. And, I, and I guess your way of grieving too. Yeah. 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 So, so there was practices that was denied to us. And because there was that denial, there's practices that are lost. And I, I'm not actually quite sure the way that they, the grieving process was back then, but because that wasn't taught. There was things that wasn't taught to, you know, passed down mm. because they wasn't allowed to. Yep. You know, that was, that was living on a mission or reserve. And then you had mission managers or, or, you know, going around and saying, no, you can't be doing this, can't be doing that. So none of that was passed down to us. Um, so therefore that then impacted and only added to our, the way we grieve, you know, the grief mm. the, of our experience of that. So it became layers upon layers that is, because there was rituals, you know, there was ceremonies around all that. But because we couldn't do our ceremonies and I'd say likely it was, it was also about celebration, about knowledge and who they, who they were mm. here in the physical, you know, and I, and, and most likely it was about then having and having that relationship through spirit. But I don't know any of that, you know, because mm. none of that has been passed down. Yep. And because of that intergenerational, it just becomes layers upon layers of, of grief that we experience mm. and the injustice that also comes with that yep. as well. It's something that I honestly don't like dwelling on because we also can't change that. Mm. To me now it's about, okay, this is where we are. How do we then, you know, find a way to be able to be walking with the grief? Yeah. Because, you know, we can sit here and talk about the history of it all, but nothing will change. Yeah. And even now talking about it, it's making me feel quite heavy, mm. you know, because I feel like I'm stuck there. It's about now, I'm, this is where I am, then I need to find a new way of doing things. Yeah. And that's where I'm at mm. now. And that, though, in itself is a struggle too because, like I said, I, um, through my experience, through my journey, had to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of work on myself um, to get to where I am. And, you know, there was a stage where, you know, I was drinking a lot. I turned to alcohol mm. because of my grief and I knew it wasn't me. And when I was having those experience, like going out and, and turning to the alcohol, I was just like, that's not me. Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to be a part of change if this is what I'm going, looking to rely on, you know, yep. to medicate myself through alcohol? When I started actually feeling a certain way, I knew then that was me processing or going through grief. Then I would take a step back and, and, and for me to do that, I would go out and be with country, be on country. Yep. That's how then things for me started unlocking about the importance of country and the importance of not feeling alone and realising that how how culture, our way of being um, and living is still very much here, mm. still very much alive. Just gotta, you know, open our eyes to it, yep. experience it, and feel it. And that's been my journey. 
it has. And how do I, you know, do that with with the generation, younger generation? I don't know. Because it's, it's still it's still the, at the very much tread lightly mm. when having these conversations. Yep. And there's just no time to it. I mean, I was only talking to Janet about that yesterday, that there's no time into sitting down having these conversations because every time you sit down and have these conversations, you have to tread lightly mm. as well as there's more, there's more grief and there's more trauma attached to it mm. every single time. But it's, like I said, you know, for me it's about, you know, really normalising and start having those conversations. It is. So with that intergenerational trauma, as much as I say, you know, I don't like looking back, sometimes we have to just have those conversations in order to appeal back yep. and see, you know, the, see what else is new, different inside. Mm. And for people to go on their own journey around that, but also feel supported in that. Yeah, it's a big, you know work to do yeah i just it's a lot it's a big conversation it's a massive conversation Mm. yeah yeah and look you know i still got some fears around those conversations i do because i i'm i still go through my own stuff yeah as well you know it's not like i don't it's not like i don't still experience that but when i do i know what i I know my medicine yeah and that's being with country. Yeah. I think as a white Australian, I feel very much like I have to tread lightly into these conversations too. Mm. And I feel like that's a really nice way to open up the, the next part of our conversation, which is about bringing your work in bringing bereavement and grief into a space of of openness, of of encouraging the community to talk about and to deal with mm. grief openly. So can you tell me sort of in your day-to-day role what that looks like for you? Well, what that looks like to me is I sit and have conversations with elders, you know, and to me, elders, they hold the space and they hold knowledge um, because, you know, they sat with the elders before them who had a, you know, sat with the elders before them. So there's that generational knowledge that's been passed down in just sitting and being a holding space for us mm. and also telling stories because the way, our, the way we learn is through oral. So just creating a space where people can come and be and just have yarns. Just have quite necessary doesn't have to be about, you know, about grief. It could be just creating that space, could, you know, and hoping that, that, that it would lead, lead to those, having those conversations. Because mm. I feel like we don't have any of those spaces. There was a conversation when we had, there was three Parsons last year, only, or young fellas here in Barrable. Mm. I was talking to two younger, two younger guys and they was like, what can we do? You know, because uh, there's always a celebration, like a big party after it. 
can we create something different where we can say, you know, we're going to have a circle. When we're we're going to have a circle, have a feed, come and sit down and let's just have a conversation. Just all just be together, you know. So, you know, invite, you know, sit down and, and speak to the Hilders about that so we can create that space for, for community just to come in and sit and be instead of, you know, go and have, have a drink, mm. which a lot of us do. Because yep. a lot of that wasn't our practice. That's what we were, you know, because when I was growing up, I remember just going to, after the funeral, we'll go to a house and everyone would be having a cup of teas, mm. you know, sandwiches and cake. Uh, but now it's like, you know, pubs, clubs, you know, that kind of, yeah, and with that becomes other stuff. So then, you know, it just adds to to the experience of of the grief in a negative way. And that's been my experience and a couple of other experiences that I've that I've spoken spoken to. So I think for for me and um and the conversations I've had with some people, it's about creating that space where people feel safe just to come and sit and be. I just don't know why, you know, that we haven't done that yet. Mm. When I know that it's a need. Yep. It is. This is probably a part of when you do have the opportunity to have those really in-depth, heavy conversations. Mm. There's probably a part of, of that too, which is managing the Western health system and the impositions that that has on culture. Mm. You know, the experience of, of being in hospital or hospice, you know, could, could be traumatising for anyone, mm. really, mm. and the experiences that you have to go through in receiving medical care and and I guess even just the the cultural differences around accessing that care. Mm. I guess, those, those are probably all factors I imagine that come up too. Well, it is. And look, and, you know, I'm, I'm also the senior Aboriginal health worker at Maxwell Hospital in palliative care. And so my role is to, you know, provide a cultural support to the families that I'm working with or the families that are, that are in palliative or the person and the families. And, so, and that's also about, you know, link them in, in making sure that they've got the right services and that it is culturally safe. And also that the, the team, the palliative care team that I work with also provides a culturally safe mm. service. And I have to say that I've got a fantastic team. Um, you know, they're, they're willing and open to learn and they want to know. So, you know, so having my role there allows that and it creates that space. Mm. It does. And um, so that's in the hospital system, you know, because they're the kind of things that, you know, now we want to break down. But I also want to note that it's also not just my business, it's everyone's business to make sure that they're getting a culture so safe service. Mm. You know, some of some of my some of the um, people that we're working with, they're they're okay for me not to be involved as well. They are, as long as they know that I'm there, mm. they're okay for me not to be involved. And and if they need me, I'll just can't. I'll, I'll you know I'll 
I'll go and see him. But it's having roles like mine's helps breaking down those, you know, those barriers mm. in for our people to access these services. Yep. It is. The other side to that is that um, my role with Mojo Ganma Foundation is working at a grassroots level around having those conversations, breaking those down barriers into end of life and people who are affected by cancer. Mm. I think for me, being in this system, you know, the Western system, providing service through the hospital, it allows me to be able to bring my cultural knowledge in mm. and what I hold into this role because for me now it's about flipping it. I know that there's systems that I have to work through, but if I've got a supporting team, supported manager, then I'll, I'm able to do my work yep. in, a, in a way. And like I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've got that in the system that I'm in right now. Mm. Because I feel like there's a time now where people want to be doing things differently because they know that what is done in the what has been done in the past hasn't worked. So they're now open to that of doing things differently. So one of the big things that I do with Mojai Ganmaya and my role within with the hospital is that I say to the, the person I'm supporting in palliative care is that, like, you know, I can get access to elders to come in and have a conversation, just sit and be mm. with you. So, you know, so I've done that mm. and that's been successful. It has given people a sense of who they are and mm. a sense of belonging as well. And, as, and so that's something I want to continue within this role. So they've got that connection. Mm. You know, that they, that, that I feel like they're just in this system, but there's also community support as well. Do you find that people get to a point where they're, oh, I don't want to say comfortable because that doesn't feel like the right word, but they're able to talk about what happens after death for them, you know, and, and also, I guess what, what, what happens for their families after they're gone too? Because that feels like it would be really, the most poignant part of that conversation because it's, it's a shared human response, right? Well, where do I go? What happens then? How are my family going to live, you know, once I'm gone? Do you find that most people get to the point where they can have that conversation or they want to have, like they're craving those answers? Um, no, no, I don't think that, you know, we've, that there's been open conversations about that. Mm. There's a, there's a belief. No, and for me, as a Gumbanga person, and my belief is that we go to the Murabaitri and that's where we re reunite with our families. Mm. So, and that's a belief within my family. Mm. But then, you know, you could talk to the next Aboriginal person and their belief could be different. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's never really been a conversation around where does people be, mm. you know? But I think through my experience of dealing with my own grief and then in my research with um, my, my, doing my thesis in walking with grief, 
what I found was that there was a similar um, belief that our spirit stays here on country Mm -hmm. and it walks still, our spirit still walks with country. It does. Why taking care of us? Because for me, the way I see it then is that even after death, we're still taking care of country. Mm. We're custodians of country through the physical and the spiritual. Mm. So that's what I've, uh, yeah, within my experience and my research, I found, Mm. I found that a comfort to me and to be able to continue those relationships. Through spirit with those who have passed in my, you know, with my loved ones. You and I were talking before we started recording about the cultural practices of the pictures and names of people being mentioned after they've passed and how there's been a shift in, I don't want to say what is acceptable because that feels like a very westernized word, but what, what is comfortable mm. for community? So what what is comfortable for community in terms of? Yeah, well, like I was saying you know, before is that our cultural practices have changed. It's been also adapted to where we are right now, uh, to the times we are in right now. So when I was even growing up, we weren't, we weren't allowed to mention the person or touch their things for 12 months. And now that's that's changed. Mm. So now we can have open conversations about them. We can mention their names. Yep. We could, you know, go through their things. And now, so a lot of that practice has changed. But I know that, you know, in certain areas, you know, WA and NT, Queensland, a lot of them still practice that where, you know, you still need permission um, to speak their name. Yep. But I think, you know, with the times right now, because things are evolving, the way we do things evolve as well. Mm. It does. Yeah. So what is what is the takeaway here in terms of what we as a collective community collaborating together can do to welcome these conversations, to facilitate opportunities to have these conversations, being mindful that there are a few people in roles like yours Mm. and there are a few people actively in the position to to advocate for that to happen both in and out of the health system. Mm. What What can we do as a community? to hold people in that space who are experiencing a terminal illness, who are about to enter palliative care, who have lost someone? Yeah, look, I feel that it is about just creating that space because not a lot of people like to talk about or put that up and say, well, I'm in palliative, you know, I'm going through grief. Mm. But I think it's just allowing or letting people know that that they they've got a space they've got a place yeah where that they'll be supported and i and a, and i feel like it's about you know creating those those networks where when it is someone that is 
you know, when a family member is experienced or, you know, going through that transitioning or just got terminal, just got um, diagnosed with cancer, you know, I think it's about because you've got the inner circle supporting that person, then you've got another circle around it, Mm. you know. So it's about kind of that supporting the inner circles yep. around that person or or that yeah yeah I, I I'm trying to I don't know how to explain it <laughs> yeah it makes it makes sense to me and I think people will draw the parallels to what already happens on a smaller scale mm. in families mm. yeah yeah so if people want to find you either at Mojagama or in your capacity in the health system how do they how do they do that well, I've got an email, <laughs> um, which is melinda.walker3 at New South Wales, uh, health, newsouthwales.gov.au. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm quite happy to have conversations around, around, around this and, you know, and holding space for people. Yep. Really important conversation to have because death and illness happens to everybody. It does. If there was one thing that you would want to leave this conversation or to, to impress on people in this conversation, what would it be that you want people to take away from this? Just know that you're not alone. You're always being held and being looked after. Even if you feel like, even if physically you're, you are alone, you're not alone. You've just got to take a step outside. And just be with, be in that space, be with country. Then you'll get, you'll see it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being open to talking about this. Okay. And sharing your experience, both your personal and professional experience. I think that people will leave the conversation having more questions, and that's a really good thing. Well, it is. It's it's a conversation starter. Yep. Yeah, and curiosity is always good. Yeah. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. We love hearing what you think. So feel free to reach out at our socials at thevalleyhub underscore NV or at our email info at thevalleyhub.com.au.